1: Olin Bruton Smith was an iconic figure in the business world and the world of NASCAR before his passing on June 22nd at the age of 95 of natural causes. He was a visionary that built Charlotte Motor Speedway in 1960, lost it to financial difficulties, regained it in 1975, and over the next half century built a motorsports and business empire that includes more than 10,000 employees today. The path to that success, however, started very early in his life. Smith was wandering around his hometown of Oakboro, North Carolina, as a child in 1939, looking for something to do when he found a job at age 12 in a local sawmill. Six years later, upon graduating from Oakboro High School, he worked in a hosiery mill, but that was not at all what he wanted to do the remainder of his life. The youngest of nine children eventually made a purchase that would lead him to two successful business ventures that set his career path in high gear, but not the way he originally planned. He had set his sights on driving a race car for a living, just as moonshiners were doing when they weren't being chased by the local sheriff or the federal revenue agents. He had seen his first dirt track race at eight years old near the end of the Great Depression. So, as a teenager, he wanted to be one of them, and driving a race car made all the sense in the world, right? That is till mom stepped in. Smith once said that he couldn't fight God and mom both, so he decided to turn his attention to promoting races instead of driving in them. And that came at Midland, North Carolina in the late 1940s, and also he promoted a three-quarter mile track in the middle of Charlotte called Charlotte Speedway. There was also Salisbury, North Carolina, and a couple of other tracks before he started construction on what was to become Charlotte Motor Speedway in 1958. Smith lost his flagship track to financial problems in 1962 in bankruptcy court, but regained it in 75 and over time became one of the giants in the business side of stock car racing. Speedway Motorsports, the company he founded, was the first motorsports company in NASCAR to trade on the New York Stock Exchange, and it currently owns 11 tracks across the United States. Under Smith's innovative direction, Speedway Motorsports facilities were the first in racing to add condominiums, fine dining Speedway clubs, Super Speedway lighting, and giant high-definition video screens. Among his accolades, Smith became a member of the National Motorsports Press Association Hall of Fame in 2006, was inducted into the International Hall of Fame in 2007 and was inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame class of 2016. Smith's love for the automobile and love for auto racing fueled his passion to give fans their greatest motorsports experience.
2: Hey, everyone, and welcome to another edition of a Lifetime in NASCAR podcast. I'm Jerry Bunkowski, along with my good buddy Ben White, and we are on episode number 69. And this is kind of a bittersweet episode, Ben, because we're going to talk a lot about the legacy, the history, the memory of one of the greatest innovators in the world of NASCAR. We lost him, uh, sadly, uh, last week at, at the age of 95. And of course, we're talking about Odell Bruton Smith, or as he would call himself, O. Bruton Smith, otherwise known as Bruton Smith. Great man, uh, great uh, promoter. You know, Ben, the first thing I remember thinking when I heard the news, uh, what was the last uh, Wednesday or Thursday, whatever day it was, that Bruton had passed away, I was shocked that he was actually 95 years old. I thought he was like maybe 85, 86, you know, but the man had done it did so much in his lifetime, you know, between what he did with NASCAR, he built up a fantastic and in a very large um, auto dealership uh, 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 network. I think it had like over 20 some uh, dealerships. I think actually at one point he had 60 dealerships. But the point is that, you know, he left a legacy with this sport that is just so great. I, I guess the best place to start off with Ben is. What's you know, probably one of your favorite memories about Bruton? I mean, you had so much interaction with him over the years, but I mean, if there's one thing that stands out in your mind about him or if there's a good story, what what, what might that be?
1: Well, I'll I tell you, Jerry, you know, I think the thing that comes to mind is his ability to, to get things done. You know, we think about you and I, for instance, just a, maybe this is not a real good example, but in our listeners, you know, when you – when you go out and you buy or build a house uh just a place to live and mm-hmm. and all the complications that you run into of uh, of those either buying or building a house and and what you have to go through and the mortgage and and the closing and and how complicated those things are and then you look at a visionary say of uh bruton smith and and just think this man not only built a racetrack from the ground up, but he also uh, built and, and bought what eight, nine other speedways. So mm-hmm. just how how mammoth of a of a major undertaking those types of things are, and you're talking millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars in building uh, Speedway, Speedway Motorsports Incorporated. And then on top of that, then you have a uh, hundred dealerships across the country, and I read somewhere, I believe, where they had employed nine thousand seven hundred and fifty people to run that under the leadership of one person, and yep. just incredible visionary yep. the, of someone that could put that together. And in reading the story, uh, and actually, I was working on a, a, a piece, uh, one of the things that I'm writing about, and about, and actually, Olin. Bruton Smith, I think was his first name. Nobody yes. really called him by his first name as O. Bruton Smith. but When you say the name Bruton, you know exactly what you're talking about in the world of motorsports. And But as the story goes, uh, he, he was born in Oakboro, North Carolina. And I can tell you, Oakboro is, you know, you as the old saying goes in the South, you could take a rock and throw it from one end to the other. end. it's a very, <laughs> very small place. Right. right not right. a lot going on there. Right. And, uh, you know, um, just a very, very small town. And he knew early in the game, I don't want to stay here. That's, I mean, he's, that's the way visionaries are. They just want to, to get out, get on and get out. You know, there's so much, to, you know, his, his mental wheels were turning all the time. And he, he just wanted to do so much more with himself. And this is a, a testament of that. Uh, his first job was at twelve years old, working in a sawmill, and then he graduated from Oakborough High School, and he worked in a hosiery mill. And he was the um, the youngest of nine children, so he worked on a farm. And I can tell you, I married into a, a farm family, and basically, my wife Eva said, "Look, here's the deal, pal. If you're going to marry into this, you're going to work.
2: Are you okay with that?" It's <laughs> right.
1: like uh, maybe, <laughs> and it's. <laughs> No, it's like you didn't think long and hard. I know you love me, but it's like, look, here's the deal. Right. And so, you know, it's it's pulling stumps till dark, and it's it's fixing fences, and it's uh, tending to cows. Even though I've not done it in this family, but I mean, you know, my my sister married into a a farm family, and it's it's you know potatoes as far as you can see, and yep. it's you know what I'm saying. It's a lot of work. It's, yep. it's and that's the way Bruton's was and he was the youngest of those children and so he goes to a racetrack when he was like 19 years old and this is before nascar this is a depression era uh time and and he you know as the story goes they're not working because it's depression era so these guys are sitting around saying what do we do with so ourselves?" because we can't find a job and so one says hey i got an idea you got a Ford, I got a Plymouth and you got a, a Dodge and we don't really have any money, but I'll bet my nickel against your dime that <laughs> mine does better than yours. Right. right so right. they find the pasture. This no, I kid you not, this is really the way it went. And so we'll go down to this Oak tree turn and you come back to this pop poplar tree in turn. And this is the kind of thing that this is, Bruton Smith's first venue or first foray, as they say, into racing. And so he was there as a 19 year old kid and he's like, he fell in love with it. And so they'd had nothing to do because they couldn't, they couldn't buy a job, but they, they had grandpa's old car, so to speak, because it was already paid for it for 200 bucks or whatever. Right. And so. This was his first chance to see cars race. So he goes to his mom and it's 16, 17. I want to be a race car driver. She said, I bet you do, but you're not going to be. <laughs> and, you know, and so as he put it, but, you know, I couldn't outrun mom and God.
2: Right, and, right
1: and so, so his, his, uh, driving days, uh, were pretty well over to pretty much the minute they started. Because he said, I couldn't talk mama mom out of it. She's like, you are not going to be a, dri- a race car driver. So the next best thing was, if I can't drive, I'll promote. Well, that's perfect for Bruton because he was all the time trying to find ways to make money. And he was a salesman. That was his thing. He could right. sell, 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 sell. And so cars was his life. And so the spinoff of that was when they're not racing in a circle, I can sell them to the people you know, in, in the general public. And so... Early in the game, he had, you know, a small dealership and his first promoting of a race, by the way, was in a little town called Midland, North Carolina, which is a little bit Southeast of, of uh, Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And so that's a little small quarter mile dirt track there. I'm not sure if it's still there, it might be, but uh, that's how that started. So yeah, he was just a salesman. He loved racing and put the two together. And before you know, it, he's selling tickets to see races instead of being in one. So that was, that was kind of the compromise
2: he was such a, um, how's it old saying go? You know, he, he built himself up from his bootstraps. I mean, you know, or his his shoelaces essentially. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I always, I mean, again, I didn't know Bruton that well. I mean, I interviewed him probably a couple dozen times over the years, but the one thing that almost every time I think of Bruton, the first thing that almost always pops in my head is if, he had, you know, like a, you know, back in the 1800s where you had the guys at the poker tables and he'd have the, you know, the poker hat on, you know, the little, whatever they call those things. And Mm -hmm. he would be the dealer. I mean, he, he just, he, he gave me that impression that he was, you know, the, 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 the dealer and he held the cards and he almost always had the winning hand, but, and, and then I may, I mean that in a good way, because he was extremely intelligent. I mean, he, he played the game where he, you know, he was, he, he would always say, well, I'm just an old farm boy from North Carolina. Well, no, he wasn't just an old farm boy from North Carolina. He was an extreme, he was genius. I mean, I'll go that far to say he was a genius. I mean, he, he got into the sport, you know, back when it really was just, you know, primarily North, South Carolina, Georgia, uh, Virginia, West Virginia, et cetera. And that was pretty much about it, but he obviously had a lot of goals to build the sport. And he had run-ins with NASCAR. There's no question. He even had a few times where he threatened to leave NASCAR and, you know, start his own series. And they, it came pretty close to that a couple of times, but the point I'm making is that this was a man who, you know, when it comes to uh, evaluating or maybe judging the impact he made on the sport, I don't think other than maybe Bill France senior and Bill France junior, I don't think there's anybody else that's had as much impact on the sport as Bruton Smith. I think that, you know, you, I would say Bill France, senior first, Bill France, junior second, Bruton Smith, third, in that order. He just had such an impact on the sport. And, you know, the one thing that I always enjoyed about Bruton and they stopped doing this when uh, NASCAR decided to end the yearly pre um, uh, preseason media tour every year, Back in January, we would have these uh, these media tours where we'd go to all the uh, you know most of the uh, uh, team headquarters, or they'd come to the hotel we were he- headquartered at, and they'd have presentations. But the one thing that I always enjoyed was Bruton's tire side chat. Now that, that now that's a takeoff of, of um, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt's fireside chat, but this mm-hmm. was called the tire side chat, and more often than not, it was Bruton and his uh then you know right hand man humpy wheeler i mean the 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 conversations the 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 laughing the the good times i mean i think i went to probably maybe 12 or 13 of those and then of course like i said when nascar decided to stop the media tour this was probably what 10 12 years ago whatever it was that was one of the biggest um victims I guess is probably of you know of the the uh, changeover in how they did the media tour instead they they would have it down downtown and it would have all the teams would come to the you know see the reporters rather than the reporters going to the the locations but Bruton always took care of the reporters he would give us great dinners before these tire side chats and you know they were unscripted they were unfiltered this was Bruton at his best and that's the thing that I I think I'll, I'll always take away is one of my favorite memories because you know Bruton you could ask him anything and it, you know if he gave you a what you might think is a snide answer it actually probably had some truth in it he just didn't want to tell you the truth in it, you know that kind of thing so <laughs> yeah but, um, I mean I, I love those chats so but uh, tell me you know some of your favorite uh, uh, other stories or other thoughts about Bruton too as well yeah well yeah and
1: you know you use the analogy of the poker player and that's very very dead on he he didn't say a lot, and I think he learned that early in the game. A lot of farmers and even some, and I say this very respectfully, people from the mountains, North Carolina mountains, Virginia mountains, that was one of their greatest attributes because they, in the Wood Brothers in racing, they don't say a lot. And that mm-hmm. has, if you don't say a lot, that means you don't have to take a lot back right? if right. you say the wrong thing. And so uh, Bruton learned that early in the game that I have a lot going on up here in my head, but I don't have to tell you everything because yep. he, he was, he was one of these types of guys. He had four or five things going on in his mind all the time. And, um, but he was a showman and that's the best way mm-hmm. to describe what Britain was about. I sure so much to talk about as far as Britain goes. And, Uh, he, but he, he respected the media and he wanted to make sure that they had everything they needed, especially when they came to Charlotte motor speedway or any of his racetracks. Uh, and, but it all goes back to those early days of seeing the early short track races, you know, back in those days, a lot of those races were held at fairgrounds. You came to the fairground, you got your cotton candy, you went to the Ferris wheel, you went to the Uh, to, to, you know, knock down the, the old milk cans, so Mm -hmm. to speak with the BB gun and over in the corner was the racetrack. So you went to the fairground to see the race and, and, but Bruton took it the other direction, you came to the racetrack to, to see the race and it was a carnival like experience. And that was the way he thought he wants you and did wanted you to always feel like when you bought a race ticket, it was the greatest experience of your life. And yeah. it was a, such a simple, 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 uh, mentality because he realized he worked hard in that hosiery mill. He worked hard in that sawmill. And so if you're going to let that dollar or that $5 or $10, whatever, escape your hand, he wanted you to say, you know what I spent the money to take my wife and two children to that racetrack but but you know what every penny of that money was well spent and and i can say this from a personal viewpoint that when my dad took me to darlington april sixteenth, nineteen 1972 and i've talked about that a lot during this podcast over over the years uh since we started it well that was that was very influential to me in making my life go in the direction of not only driving race cars, working for Richard Childress as a team owner, moving that into becoming a journalist, uh, and then my son now building engines for Richard Childress as an engineer. What I'm saying is that one afternoon experience changed my life. And so Bruton had the same mentality. If you come to my racetrack, it might very well Change your life to the point where your your entire life might be in racing in some way. You might be a driver. You might be a public relations person. You might even own or build a racetrack. You might sponsor a race car. And because you you bought that ticket, but he knew how hard money was to come by, mm-hmm. and he wanted you to have the greatest possible experience you could at a racetrack, and that was that was his number one goal not only that but but also buying a car off of a dealership lot he wanted you if you spent money for it he wanted it to be the very best and that's that's what bruton that's that was what his mentality was all about
0: you know
2: the one thing about bruton that i always admired about him was that he wouldn't take anything from anybody and what i mean that is that criticism if anybody criticized him or if nascar did something that he didn't like he was not afraid to say you know give his opinion or his uh viewpoint and you know there's no it's no secret that he and nascar butted heads a number of times over the right. years and you know as speedway motorsports grew as um you know the attention that uh he you know, he uh the, that he brought to the sport i mean he was also an innovator too because like when um he started building the suites at Charlotte Motor Speedway and then eventually at Texas Motor Speedway, you know, people in NASCAR, for the you know, for many people in NASCAR, I'm not gonna say a lot, but I mean, uh, you know, all or most, but many people in NASCAR thought they they call it Bruton's folly. They said, yeah. well, you know, what are you what are you doing? What are you building these you know these apartments or condos or and the, you know the condos or the suites that he built at both Charlotte and Texas actually were um, the people that, that, uh, bought those were able to live in them, you know, all year round, if they wanted to, you know, that was just right. for the races and Bruton was very smart in what he did. I mean, he, you know, even though he had so much criticism against him, he wound up having the last laugh because they were very popular. They were, you know, they made a lot of money for him and in, in Speedway Motorsports. They continue to make a lot of money for the, for the company today. And, you know, that was just another element of his innovations, but the one thing I think that I want to uh, get this out before I forget about it is that Bruton also had an extremely, extremely generous side. He was, you know, he he gave back probably more than he got back. You know, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, especially mm-hmm. the Speedway Children's Charities. I mean, yep. that that place put out millions and millions and millions of dollars to, you know, help you know, primarily kids, not just in Charlotte. I mean, it was Texas. It was around the country. You know, they, they, uh, they really raised so much money. That was his pet project. Even when he quote unquote retired as uh, chairman, CEO, Emeritus, he still was involved in, in that as well too. And he had a lot of involvement in the way the company was run. Even when his son, you know, um, um, you know, his son took over from, you know, in his, in his, uh, in his stead, about, what was it, about 10 years ago, I guess it would have been, mm-hmm. uh, Marcus Smith, um, you know, he, Bruton still had a lot of involvement in the thing, but the, the Speedway Charities, I think, was probably one of the things he looked at as he admired most about what he was able to do. I mean, sure, he built all these, these great racing palaces in Charlotte and Texas, et cetera, but it was the children's, uh, Speedway Children's Charities that he really, it was really like the, one of the closest things to his heart.
1: Oh yeah absolutely and and i will venture out to say i didn't hear him say this but i'll venture out to say there were some times very early in his childhood during christmas he may his family may not have had two nickels to rub together and yeah. yep. and you know it just meant a lot to him to make sure that children uh had gifts at christmas and and i know that it was very very much in his heart to do that and But, you know, talking about Bruton, there were some dark times in his racing career, too, and and a lot of people may not know this, but when they built Charlotte Motor Speedway, and it opened in 1960, you know, fellow uh, driver, uh, I I can't really say fellow driver because Bruton never got in a race car, but Curtis Turner was Mm -hmm. his partner in that venture, and they ran into problems with building Charlotte Motor Speedway very early in the game, very much like, you know, so many speedways Atlanta Motor Speedway had their problems before uh, Brutner ever got involved with the racetrack. So many tracks did because they were very expensive venues to, to build. But what they ran into in Charlotte was um, there was a great deal of granite underneath the ground that they didn't count on. And back in those days, we touched on this in another podcast, but they really didn't have, they have the seismic equipment. Maybe they did, but not sophisticated like it is today. When they started into it, they'd spent so much money on it. They couldn't just say, well, let's pack up and go somewhere else. And they ran into so much granite. They had to spend a lot of money to move it, blow it up with dynamite and all this. It just put them behind. They had all kinds of problems with weather week after week after week. I remember my father-in-law was telling me how, I think it was like five or six straight weeks, they had like 10, 12 inches of snow one week, right after another, after another in 1960 in January, or excuse me in 59, I think. And so it was just problem after problem. And then, so in 1962, they ended up having to, uh, Bruton had to file bankruptcy, lost the speedway. Uh, Richard Howard, who by the way, was the team owner for Bobby Allison's cars in the early seventies, 1972, uh, junior Johnson was the chief mechanic for the team. Junior didn't own it. Richard Howard did, but Bruton didn't regain, um, ownership of Charlotte Motor Speedway until 1975. He continually sold his cars, bought more stock, bought more stock, and finally regained uh, ownership of Charlotte Motor Speedway in 75. So that was what, a like a 12, 13 year gap that he had to just piece by piece buy the Speedway back. So that was a lot of, of, uh, a lot of work to get it back in his hands again. So it wasn't an easy venture. And you know, backing up just a smidge more, uh, you know, Bruton was, as I said in the beginning, he was promoting races at Midland, North Carolina, other tracks. And he, he promoted a, a, a race or two here in Salisbury, North Carolina, where I'm from. And the person he was going to go into business with there was a gentleman by the name of Walter McCandless. He got into some problems with the IRS. We've talked about that on a previous show. And so that's when he chose to go to that area where Charlotte Motor Speedway is now. And so there were some Rocky times, I mean, no pun intended there, but Rocky times where things just weren't working out. And so he persevered and, and stuck with it, stuck with it and said, you know, I'm going to build a speedway, a mile and a half track. And you know, now uh, for years and years, it was a premier and still is, it's a premier uh, stop on the cup series schedule and. You know to win in the 70s and 80s i remember to win at charlotte was like the diamond you, you know to say that you were a 600 winner at charlotte and that special trophy that was given out to to all these guys who could win the, the world 600 first and it's now it's called the coca-cola 600 but he built a show place out of it i mean i remember some years at charlotte no no disrespect intended but it needed a lot of work and he continually put money into it made a great Right. But you know, you talked about the condos in turn one. I do remember people thought you're nuts. You yep. lost your mind. You're going to build condos to turn one at the racetrack. And I regret really regret the fact that in 1985, I didn't have $90,000 in my pocket. That's all it would have taken to buy one. And I mean, I was really young in my career and getting started right out of school and stuff. And I just couldn't do it but I don't know what the price is now for to have one, but it would, it would have been quite an investment to have the money to done it now. Cause I know they're worth way, way, way more than 90,000 now. Yeah. And everybody thought "Brit, you're out of your mind. And he said, no, he wasn't. He, he was a visionary. He knew exactly what he wanted to do. And that's what, that's what separates those of us from visionaries, you know, like the, you know, Bill France was the same way. They could see way into the future. Right. And, um, uh, yeah, he's just, he was just that, uh, that skilled, He uh, again, Bruton had all these, he had several sets of wheels turning in his mind all the time about what, what he could see with the future, you know, and those types of people can do it. They, they just knew exactly what was coming and just hear me out. I know what I'm doing. And, uh, he was, he's quite a visionary and he, he you can see, but, but one other point that you mentioned earlier, and I want to say this too, before I forget it, yeah, it was a little bit of a nemesis uh, set up between, I guess, at times between Bruton and NASCAR, and they'd locked horns on some certain things. And, you know, some people have speculated that if timing had been right and maybe the money had been right, this and that, you know, Bruton at times, I think it even said he wanted to spin off and create his own NASCAR mm-hmm, at times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it, for whatever reason, had not developed, I guess, thankfully, because, you know, that would have just, you know, made the couple of tornado or hurricanes in the ocean at the same time, if you will. And that might've hurt the sport more than it helped it, but they did eventually work together. Of course, uh, Charlotte's been on the schedule since 1960 and I pray it never leaves it, uh, but yeah, he went on to build Charlotte and what eight, nine other speedways, and there's a great relationship between SMI and NASCAR and ISC and uh, yeah, but there were times that there was some, some talk about Maybe Bruton spinning off and starting his own NASCAR. And, and believe it or not, there a lot of people don't realize this. I'm getting a little long-winded here. Sorry. But there was a time when NASCAR was a sanction and there were several other sanctions out there that were trying to, you know, build from the ground up. And mm-hmm. Bruton was involved in another sanction that was not NASCAR. I can't remember the exact letters that were making up this particular other sanction there were several about 1947, 48, 49 in that era that were, I guess you could call them competitors to NASCAR. And of course, at the end of the day, NASCAR rose above under the leadership of, of Bill French senior and they prevailed, but there were others in that era that were spinning around out there and trying to get up their feet on the ground and NASCAR prevailed, but, but Bruton was part of the, one of those others that was trying to get going at that time
2: well you know one other thing that I wanted to point out about Bruton is that and you, you use the perfect word visionary but mm-hmm. he wasn't just only about stock car racing I mean at Charlotte Motor Speedway right across the street they have the dirt track they have the Z-Max Dragway which he got really really heavily involved in drag racing in fact uh, there came a couple of times over the last 15 years where it was heavily rumored he was going to buy the National Hot Rod Association. He he just had such a, um, you know, a mindset of how to grow the sport of drag racing. Unfortunately, when we got the recession in 2007, 2008, that's when he kind of backed off and said, well, you know, I still got my drag strip, but I'm not going to buy the series. And unfortunately, the series has kind of kind of wallowed uh ever since then um and mm-hmm. i know there had been some talk about i guess it was about two years ago just just it was just before the covid pandemic hit that uh you know uh, marcus smith had apparently talked to nhra about finally fulfilling the um the the sale if you will of nhra to speedway motorsports unfortunately that that did not happen and i don't know if Bruton's passing now may actually um, make it somewhat, um, and I hate to use this word, but somewhat easier, if you will, for Marcus Smith and uh, Speedway Motorsports to buy the NHRA because I know Bruton had such a a great uh, vision of what he wanted to see NHRA did, did, or to do rather, but NHRA has always been very ultra conservative they've been very ultra um uh they, they don't want to change things and if there's ever a motorsports series that needs lots of changes lots of improvements NHRA. now we're obviously this is a nascar podcast so i'm gonna get back to nascar but you know i think that mm-hmm. you know Bruton has the dirt track or the bull ring rather out in las vegas he's got a drag strip right across the street there just like he has at charlotte i mean he just believed in all forms of motorsports i mean uh, you know charlotte motor speedway every summer they have the legends cars racing there. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's just a phenomenal empire that he built. And, you know, if it had four wheels, sometimes even two wheels uh, or two mm. tires, rather uh, he would, you know, they would race on his facilities. That's, that's yeah. I think that's one of the things I'm going to take away.
1: Right. Well, I think one of the greatest things uh, it, it's, it's sad that Bruton has passed. I mean that very sincerely, because I, I interviewed him a few times. I didn't, uh, not a lot, but I would see him at the racetracks. Uh, and, and of course he would, uh, offer his thoughts to media members as a group, you know, we get with him, uh, in the big room there in the media center, but sometimes he would have the, what you call the chats, uh, with yep. some of us and we would get invited up to his office there at the speedway and have some interest to the speedway club too. We'd have some interesting conversations with him, but I think one of the greatest legacies, um, that he's left is of course, fans were number one. There's no question about that. Cause that's the lifeblood of all racing, all motorsports, and all, all sports for that matter. But I think the greatest, greatest thing that he's done, um, is of course, Marcus Smith is extremely, extremely smart about, uh, everything he's done for SMI. I, I have a great, great respect for Marcus a fine individual, somebody that I believe if I needed to talk to Marcus right after this podcast, I could get him on the phone. Yes. Yes. And that says a lot really, because sometimes when you try to get to somebody, there's a wall of people that Mm -hmm. you have to navigate through. And that's not the case with Marcus. If I matter of fact, when we did the North uh, Wilkesboro Speedway press conference, he was there and he was just kind of milling around. Hey, how you doing? How's it going? And I offered a suggestion or two. I was kind of kidding with him. I have a goodies headache powder banner that that actually hung there in 1996 when Jeff Gordon won the last race there Mm -hmm. in the cup series. And I said, Hey, if you guys ever have a museum here, when you open it in October, I'd love to just put it in your museum. And he's like, no kidding. Really? You got that? I said, yeah, I just happened to have it. And um if you decide to do it it was i know for a fact it hung here i didn't steal it or anything (laughs) but i just know i know i have a good source that had it and and it's there and uh i'd love to offer it if you know and he got i could see behind those eyes there was a there was like his dad there's some wheels turning there's there's a wheel so what i'm saying is he's accessible and And he has put people in places all around this SMI family. That's no other way to put it. It's a family. And, you know, that's, listen, here's the deal. If you own a company, all right, doesn't matter how much money you have. Doesn't matter how many you sell. Doesn't matter about any of that. Your number one asset in your company is your family, is your people. Your people, okay. right, right, It is so simple. You can spend millions of dollars on infrastructure and your buildings and your cars and your, this, and your, that, and your assembly lines, forget all that. That's not, that's not what's going to build your company. It's your people. And he has surrounded himself with the very best people and their family and they're the best. And he knows that. And so he's learned that and. He's just one of the greatest people in the world, but I'm saying he's accessible and I think he's learned that from his dad and he Mm -hmm. knows that fans are number one. He knows that the media are there to not only help him to promote SMI tracks and make that the best fan experience possible, but it goes back to 1960 when they opened that first, you know, the gates for the very first time at Charlotte, he learned that from Bruton Smith, his dad. And it's just a very simple plan, and people—it's just amazing how some of these people who own companies don't get that. You know, Roger Pensky gets that. He's—he's mm-hmm. uh, he's got business after business. He's a billionaire several times over. And then you ask Roger Pensky the same thing: What is the greatest thing? Uh, what is the greatest part of your company? He said: People. Yep. The, get the best people. Richard Chandler. will tell you the same thing: People, people, people and so anyway i just can't say enough about marcus and and that you know he's just a great guy and i i'm rambling again but it's just that's the key and I and bruton taught him that's the number one key to making a success so there you go
2: well i agree with you that uh smi and you know speedway motorsports uh is in very good hands uh, with marcus as at the helm it's been in very good hands since he took over the helm about i guess it was like i said about 10 years ago or whatever it was mm-hmm. but you know. One thing that we we would be remiss if we didn't talk about it before we you know we wrap up the today's episode is, um, you know, when Bruton and Humpy Wheeler got together, they formed, to, in my opinion, the greatest ever promotional team in any form of sports. Yes, I'm not just talking absolutely sports, I'm talking I'm talking all sports. I mean, the two of them were like, you know, yin and yang. I mean, they, yep. they you know, it, it was such a great uh, relationship and. It's kind of sad how it ended. Um, you know, it was, uh, I'm not going to get into all the details, but, you know, uh, Humpy decided that, uh, you know, with kind of a, well, let's just say that they parted ways. So we'll leave it at that. Yeah,
1: good, um, good way to put that. Yeah,
2: yeah, and and, but I mean, the time they were together was you know they did so much they achieved so much they I mean e- e- we can say all we want to say about Bill France senior and Bill France junior but NASCAR would not be in the position it is today uh if it had not been for B- Humpy Wheeler and Bruton Smith I mean I, they right. were kind of like the the they were the the other side, if you will, or the they, they weren't the enemy, they were the other part of that whole equation, which really helped build NASCAR. Because if we didn't have Charlotte, if we didn't have Texas, we didn't have Las Vegas, we didn't have New Hampshire, we didn't have Atlanta, we didn't have any of those SMI tracks, NASCAR would not be where it's at today, in my opinion. No,
1: no, I totally agree. And, and a little bit of background here. Okay, first of all, Bruton Smith was a great promoter, Mm-hmm. Humpy Wheeler cannot say enough great things about Humpy even today. He, you know, we're, we, he and our great, great friends, uh, you know, uh, just love the guy so much. And, and even today I'm in the media center, this last Charlotte race and, and he walks in and sits down with me and we just talk, talk, talk. And, and if I need to bounce something off of somebody, is this right? Is it wrong? This, what do you think? I'll call Humpy and he'll give me a straight-up answer. He'll say, no, you're full of it, or either, (laughs) no, this is what you need to do, or you're right on or you're dead on, and he'll give me a straight straight answer. or he'll give me a great, great quote about something I'm working on, just straight up as he can be, straight as an arrow. And he's always, always, always been that way. And so in 1975, when, as I was talking about before, when Bruton came back in, he was smart enough to – Bring Humpy into this picture, so mm-hmm. to back up a smidge, Bruton's a great promoter. Humpy Wheeler was a great promoter, and he was promoting some racetracks. He would worked for Firestone Tire as a public relations person, actually over their public relations department. Mm-hmm. And so he offered this uh, Bruton offered Humpy this great uh, opportunity: to come to Charlotte Motor Speedway. I'll give you the gold card. You'd be my public relations person. I, well, actually president of the speedway general manager of the speedway. I don't care what you do and how you do it, but I want every, I want fannies in the seats. Okay. I want everybody to come here and enjoy this experience that we touched on before. So you get two great guys and again, these wheels turning, I mean, you think about somebody who could, who really is smart and knows thinks out of the box. And knows how to get people in the, in the seats. Let me give you a quick, quick example. Okay. Kale Yarborough, Daryl Waltrip at the height of the jaws movies, when scaring people to death on the beaches, Myrtle beach and in Florida. Okay. Well, Cale gives Daryl Waltrip this, um, you know, the nickname of jaws, because basically Daryl can't keep his mouth shut. (laughs)
2: <laughs> and, great,
1: great. and so this crash happens at Darlington between DK or Daryl Waltrip and Kale Yarborough going down what was then the backstretch. DK comes to Kale said, why did you wreck me? I can't believe you wrecked me. This was in 77 Southern 500 at Darlington. Kale says, I didn't wreck you. Jaws wrecked you. He said, what are you talking about? What do you mean Jaws? He said, Daryl Waltrip, Jaws. Well, that stuck because this movie is selling out like Top Gun is today. Just blockbusters. Okay. And so Kale, a man of few words says, Jaws, he wrecked you. I didn't wreck you. Daryl Waltrip wrecked you. He gets like, boom, this is great. So what he does, gets a record truck, gets a buddy in Myrtle beach, brings up a shark, (laughs) hangs the shark on the back of a record truck (laughs) with a chicken in his mouth because Holly farms. is Kale's sponsor right right? right, right. so they take this record truck on the pace lap everybody goes nuts (laughs) this is typical humpy wheeler he's all the time thinking about how can i make this thing so exciting for these fans the fans got a big kick out of it yep until the fact that got at at the end of pivot road it started to stick pretty bad and they had to get (laughs) rid of it but the overall picture was this is awesome. You know, this is what the fans want to see. They got everybody got a charge out of it. Everybody, we got to go to the racetrack and see this thing. What's Humpy going to do next?
2: What's Humpy going to do next? Exactly. exactly. What is
1: Humpy going to do next? Well, that, that's all they needed. And Humpy is the greatest promoter of all time. And it was sort of like this, for lack of a better word, this sort of circus mentality yep. to where we, we got to jump. we are got to jump cars. With school buses, not the other way around, even though you right. probably did that too. We're gonna to drop people out of airplanes. We're gonna whatever, you know, throw it, just tell me what you're thinking. Nothing's off the table. All yep. right. This is the humpy way. And that's what kept people in the seats. Not as much the race. Well, the races are great too, but let's go see this guy jump, but you blow him out of a cannon and let's yep. see how far he goes. Yep. You know, yep. We'll we'll send an ambulance out there for him later, but let's just see how far he goes. Right. That was the humpy way. And and this went on for 30 years. And so, you know, promotion, promotion, promotion. But the greatest guy in the world, honestly, Humpy is straight as an arrow. And I, I love him. He's great, great friend. And that, that was the way Charlotte motor Speedway filled the seats. Oh, and by the way, 600 miles around the place when you're getting people beating and banging on each other like a short track, but it's a mile and a half. That was the bonus. And what was going on before the race was the show. That yep. was the thinking Yep, exactly. show before. And then the bonus was the race and it worked for years. Well,
2: you know, the, the other thing too, is that, um, when Bruton brought Humpy in Humpy became, um, he allowed Bruton to do what he, Bruton wanted to do with his car dealerships and his other businesses. He, he gave him that uh, opportunity to really build that element of Bruton Smith's life because if Bruton would have been the only person, uh, you know, if, if Humpy Wheeler was not there, and if it was only Bruton, I don't know if he could handle all of that no. between the racing empire and then, of course, the the car dealership empire. No, no.
1: See, see, Bruton didn't have the personality that Humpy did. Yes, Bruton, exactly. Bruton was the sort. Bruton was the thinker. Humpy was the doer. If That's that makes right. any sense. Exactly. I say that with all compliments because, right. you know, Bruton maybe Bruton could think it through, but he didn't have the charisma or the whatever to make it exciting where Humpy could, Humpy could turn the cartwheels and, you know, Bruton could plan out how far you're going to do with the cartwheel, if that made any sense. Exactly. I mean, he just didn't have the personality to do all that. So, you know what I want. Right. You, you go do it. You That's know? right.
2: He gave my timing. Yeah, yeah Bruton gave me. Yeah. Here's,
1: here's right the now. thing. Uh, here's a better way to put it. Uh, Bruton was the lion tamer, and Br- and Humpy was the lion. So that makes sense.
2: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> maybe that's
1: the, maybe that's the way to put it. It was just like he just he just uh, you know Br- Bruton didn't have the personality. You know it was hard to get ten words out of Bruton. Where,
2: I don't know about So when he wanted to talk, he would open up. I mean, you, you yeah. know, that. When, when he did the fire or the tire side chats. I yeah.
1: Mean, I mean, yeah, he, he just, did, he, but he didn't have the personality though. Right. True.
2: Very true. Very true.
1: Yeah. He just didn't have that, but Humpy Now Humpy could also talk me Humpy give you a, a novel on, you know, why air was in the tires, <laughs> right. you know, he could, he, but he gave you the scientific, you know what I'm saying? He, right, right, right. They complimented one another.
2: Let me, let me ask you a question, Ben, you know, we're getting near the end of the show here, but, um, where does Speedway Motorsports, where does Marcus Smith, where does the entire staff of the entire racing empire that Bruton Smith uh, built, where do they go from here?
1: They go, the sky is the limit, but they go slowly. They go carefully. They go smart. smartly. Is that a word? They go, um, take Wilkesboro, for instance. They want to build Wilkesboro back into a, Cup Series venture, mm-hmm. but it might take six or seven years. I, th- I think what I'm saying is they're very meticulous about growing SMI, but they're very smart about doing it mm-hmm. under Marcus's leadership and under the leadership of SMI. Um, and I think there's lessons that have been learned, um, uh, to not go, to, uh, I think it's the mentality of, of slow down to go faster. Yep. Because yep. of le- lessons learned. Do you understand what I mean by that? Right. It's Wilkesboro, I see Wilkesboro for instance, this has a cup series venture and it's going to be huge in the future, but not now. I, I do. I think so because of lessons learned and boy, is it going to be huge when they do finally get it back on the cups? I think it's going to be a cup series uh, race in the future. Maybe it might be 10 years, but I think it will be. And I yeah, think I, it's going to be very carefully planned. Right. And I think that's under Marcus's leadership. And I think you have to walk slowly uh, and carefully, but, and that's, again, that's what you learn from, I mean, you didn't, you don't, you don't get eight or nine racetracks uh, overnight. Right. You know, I just, I, I think that's my thinking, honestly.
2: Well, you know, the, the thing about um, in particular North Wilkesboro, um, I remember talking to Bruton and this is probably at least 15 years ago. I think it was, and one of the questions I posed to him was, did he have any regrets in his career? Because I did a long piece on him for Yahoo uh, when I was with them, and you know I asked Bruton about, you know, did he have any regrets about, you know, his entire career? And one, of the thing that he he came off immediately was he wished he he said he wished he handled North Wilkesboro differently. I mean, mm. you know, they were in such a I don't want to say they were in such a hurry, but they wanted those race dates, you know, they wanted one for Texas and the other one for, for uh, New Hampshire. And Mm -hmm. um, so that's why they bought the track and, you know, they kind of let the track deteriorate. And, but he, he regret, that was one of his biggest regrets. It was that he did what happened or he did what he did with North, North Wilkesboro, because that track was always a favorite. And, you know, even, even five years ago, People would always talk about, oh, man, I wish the Cup of Series was back in North Wilkesboro. Well, we may potentially be seeing that, you know, this is a kind of a Mm -hmm. resurrection, if you will, under Marcus Smith's leadership. Uh, I'm I've never been in North Wilkesboro. I've driven by it a couple of times and Mm -hmm. driven around it, but I've never actually gone in it.
1: But 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 you know what, Jerry, what is so amazing to me Maybe some of our final thoughts here, but what is so amazing to me? The buildings are dilapidated the yes. buildings just need to be somebody needs to get a big bulldozer and start on one end right the track though the track itself the surface is amazingly good i mm-hmm. i was i walked part of that when we were at the press conference that day i could not get over it even richard childress when he took governor cooper around roy cooper is like it is amazing how good the track is i don't know what they did to it 100 years ago or 50 years ago whatever but i mean <laughs> <laughs> the, the track the track is just amazing It's, it, i mean it's just smooth and it's you could take a i mean i i just i don't get it i don't know what they did whoever did it you know kudos congratulations to them whoever paved it because it's just in great great shape i hate to see them tear it up because they're going to tear it up and make a dirt track out of it you know for a time and they're going to repave it i think what what marcus said but right it's just amazing to me but yeah the buildings are in pretty rough shape they need exactly. to come down
2: Final thoughts about, uh, about Bruton Smith. What are your, what are your final thoughts about
1: him? Well, you know, I think, uh, I, I think he left a, a large legacy, uh, in, in NASCAR. And I agree with what you said a few minutes ago about had he not has his presence, not been here in NASCAR history. I wonder where would we be mm-hmm. really, because he brought so, so much to, to the schedule, to the sport, to history, Uh, And these people like Bruton and like Bill France and like Roger Penske and like these folks that just do so, so much. It's mind boggling to me how, you know, just take a racetrack like Daytona or a Talladega or a, I mean, gosh, you know, wow. How hard it would be to put something like together with like land and permits and the, you know what I mean? It's just so much you have to do. And mm-hmm. then once you build it, then you have to maintain it. And yeah. all they brought to it it's just, it's hard to put into words. And Bruton, um, yeah, he had, he had his challenges and I'm sure challengers over the, over his lifetime, but, but we're so thankful for those types, the visionaries in our, our sport, because it wouldn't nearly be as great as it is today without them. And, and Bruton certainly is at the top of that list.
2: Right. Well, my final thought about bruton um is and i can't remember the headline i used for the what well, the um uh the recollection or the memorial column i wrote about him for auto digest.com but the, to paraphrase the headline you know his initials may have been bs but he there he, there was no <laughs> bs in bruton absolutely none. i mean what you saw was what you got the man was you know he was a treat to talk to because Yes, he could be boisterous at times. Yes, he could brag at times. Yes, he could, you know, uh, call an ace an ace, a a spade a spade, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, he, he gave you, you know, an unfiltered version. I mean, he... He was so smart. Yeah, he maybe didn't tell you everything all the time because he didn't. want, You know, he wanted to hold some things back. You know, some secrets. I get that, but I mean, what you saw was what you got, and that's what I mean. You know, he his initials were BS, but he was not BS. And he well, was- that's
1: a very clever line, and that, that says <laughs> that really says it. Really says it all. And if you want to really stop and think about it, because to be that type of person and that type of visionary. You can't be soft sometimes. Yeah. You got to just go you know, be the bull in the room and break some China. You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> you got to exactly. go in there and say, this is what we're doing people. That's you know, right.
2: Here it is. This right. like it or not. This is what we're doing. Exactly. All right. As we normally do on every episode of a lifetime in NASCAR podcast, we always like to wrap it up with, you know, the episode number and that corresponds with a race vehicle number. So this is episode 69 of a lifetime in NASCAR podcast. And, the car number sixty nine has a very interesting history. Ben, you always like to take this, so I'm going to give it, turn it over to you.
1: Okay. Uh, well, Jerry, I'll tell you what. The uh, number sixty nine. We did not have a winner with car number sixty nine. Uh, the back in September eleventh, nineteen forty nine, at Langhorne Speedway, which seems to, <laughs> seems to be a track that uh, seems to invite brand new. Car numbers. They seem to have yeah. yep. seems yep. to have run a bunch of them.
2: Yeah, right. Uh, and
1: at that particular racetrack for whatever reason. But a guy named Chet natalie I believe is the way you said his uh his name. Uh, he ran the number 69 there for the first time on September 11th, 1949. But it's just another one of those numbers that never has gone to Victor Lane in NASCAR competition.
2: Well, and I, I looked up on our you know, our friends Maurice and reference that info. I looked it up. 106 starts, zero wins, five top five, 20 top tens, and they never really had any major drivers of any major name other than a few one-offs. Leroy Yarborough and Herschel McGriff were a couple of the bigger names that uh, drove that car, but here's the, the, the final thing I'll say about the number 69. The last time that car was run, this is an amazing fact, was 1992 by a gentleman by the name of Denny Wilson. He raced it at Watkins Glen. They have not raced the number 69 since then. So if you've got about $20 million burning a hole in your pocket right now and you want to buy a NASCAR team, hey, the number 69 is available. Go, Have at it, you know.
1: Go for it. That's right.
2: All right, my friend. Well, listen, a great episode as always. And, uh, again, as I mentioned at the outset of the the episode, a bittersweet time. But we, you know, we really – we talked – a great deal about Bruton Smith and just the impact he made on the sport. Great man, great legacy. He will definitely be missed, but he will also be remembered. And, you know, Marcus Smith has definitely, um, you know, picked up the baton and and he will continue to run with it for another 20, 30 years, hopefully. But, uh, you know, we will miss Bruton, but just a, just a great, great guy, Ben.
1: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just thankful for all he's done for this, And uh, our our thoughts and prayers here with the Smith family and uh, onward and upward, as they say, and uh, just uh, just very thankful for his friendship over the years. And uh, we're, again, thoughts and prayers with the, the Smith family at this time.
2: Exactly. All right. He's Ben White. I'm Jerry Bunkowski. You've been listening to episode number 69 of a Lifetime in NASCAR podcast. We'll be back next week with episode 70. And we've got some big things coming up uh, over the next several weeks. So make sure you tune in every single week. We really appreciate your attention, uh, your your devotion to the podcast, your listening to the podcast. And uh, you know we've got some big things planned for the upcoming week. So for Ben White, I'm Jerry Bunkowski. That'll do it for episode 69 of a Lifetime in NASCAR. Podcast. So for Ben White, I'm Jerry Bancowski. Take care, everyone. We'll talk to you later on the Lifetime and NASCAR Podcast.